Hello. Uh, welcome to GEC Important Talks. This is a podcast series presented by Global Education Connection, where we talk about important issues around the world related to children's human rights. So today for our episode, we're going to be talking about Romani children and their access to education in Europe. Um, myself, Carter Beck and Catherine Slaughterbeck. All right. So uh, we're very excited to be able to talk about this important subject. Um, and again, Anything in the podcast is going to be um, based off of our opinions of the uh, the issues that are going on. So what we say in here is going to be our opinion only. So if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us on our social media accounts, or you can email us carter at globaleducationconnection.org or catherine at globaleducationconnection.org. So we'll get into it. Um, first question is going to be Catherine. Can you talk to us about what are what? So, what is the Romani people, and where are they exactly? Yeah, so the Romani people are um, a group of people that actually originated in Southeast Asia. They immigrated to Europe around a thousand years ago, um, and they're currently they, they live mostly in Central and Eastern Europe, and they're currently about ten to twelve million, I believe, living in Europe. And so I'll, I'll follow up. Okay. Um, Catherine, could you talk a little bit about the background of the Roma people and what are some of the issues that they currently face today, children and adults? Yeah, so since they immigrated to Europe, you know, a thousand years ago, they've experienced a lot of discrimination, both from like the local population and from European governments. Uh, today, they face a lot of issues regarding access to education, as we're going to talk about, access to government funding, access to housing, they experience widespread violence from police. So it, it's a multifaceted issue uh, that really needs to be addressed on all ends. To build on that, over the last thousand years, you said, has it been consistent discrimination against the Roma people or was there something that happened in history that caused this kind of discrimination? From my understanding, it's been pretty consistent. Uh, there have been times, of course, where it hasn't been as aggressive as you know, the hundreds of years they were enslaved in Hungary or the widespread uh, violence they experienced during the Holocaust, but it has been pretty consistent discrimination ever since they moved there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely an important issue that I need to learn more about. Um, and also I think that people in, in general need to at least know what is going on. Um, so next, um, what are some of the stereotypes and prejudices that Romani children face in schools? Yeah, so that ties into, I think, a lot of the larger stereotypes around Roma. Of course, they have the, the stereotype of being a thief. Um, you know, that, that's even something that we have in American culture. Like, a lot of them are perceived as, like, being dirty, being thieves. So that carries over to how children are treated in school. You know, they don't, like, white children uh, often don't want to be around them. They're often exclu purposely excluded from white classrooms or even, like, segregated to completely different schools just because they're, they don't want them around white children. And are these, uh, these separate schools, I assume they're not going to be like a uh, public schools. They're more probably community-based schools that are around Roma based populations. Yeah. But for the most part, from my understanding, they're still taught by white teachers because mm. of the educational disparities. A lot of Roma aren't able to access higher education and become teachers themselves. So they're okay. sending these children two schools with white teachers, but they're still not properly funded schools. Catherine, how is it that you know so much about the Roma population? Um, is this something that you studied in school? It's not something that was like specifically taught to me in a classroom. 
Um, as silly as it sounds, I learned about the Roma through media. Um, some of my favorite comic book characters are Roma. So it was like something to learn about that. And as I grew to mo know more and more, uh, I was like, okay, this is something that needs to be talked about. So I've written papers on it for a school, but it's not something that's been formally taught to me in a classroom. It's been pretty much like personal research and stuff I've read online. And is there a particular source where you've received the, the most credible information in your opinion? A lot of stuff I've gotten is from organizations like the European Roma Rights Center, um, the Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, the UN is a great source as always, and um, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe uh, actually has an entire office dedicated to Roma and Sinti um, thing, dealings in Europe. So there are a lot of great organizations who are doing work in Europe to address this issue that can be used as credible sources. Very nice. Very nice. Now, is that the, so if it comes from the United Nations, would you say that that's a public policy that is, um, that is trying to promote Roma rights? I'd say part of it, as always, is promotion. A, a lot of the work the UN done is, of course, to educate. So that is part of it. Um, mm. But also a lot of it's, you know, gathering data and research to not only educate the public, but also educate governments themselves. In terms of educating governments themselves, have there been any effective approaches so far from countries, or has it been um, fairly ineffective until now? From my understanding, it's been fairly ineffective. Of course, mm -hmm. countries have tried to address this, but uh, like the World Bank had a conference back in 2003 um, to try and address this or bring awareness to countries. The UN obviously has done stuff like their Decade for Roma Inclusion. Um, like I said, uh, the OSCE has an entire or like division in their organization dedicated to working with countries to address this stuff. The EU's done stuff for it. So it, there has been work done. It just hasn't mm -hmm. created a lot of effective progress. Okay. Is there a particular reason why there might not have been as much success as wasn't anticipated with the beginning of these programs? I think a lot of it comes down to the the like the the so like the mindset of governments and the, of the people living in these countries because like this widespread discrimination is so ingrained in European culture that a mm -hmm. lot of them don't see the issue with treating the Roma like this mm -hmm. or um, during education programs to try and like combat workplace discrimination against Roma a lot of organizations like didn't even consider racial discrimination against Roma racial discrimination. Mm, okay. So it, it, it's so ingrained in their culture and the way of life there that it's, it's so hard. It's really hard to just pull apart. Is there any difference, would you say, between um, age groups with the levels of discrimination? Do we see less discrimination amongst uh, young, young adults compared to that of older generations? I don't know too much on that, so I can't say for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but something like this, I at the current moment, I can't see there being a lot of like age, like variation in age. It's pretty ingrained. Okay, alrighty. So, m moving on a little bit, I want to ask um, for the Roma Roma population specifically: What are the long term benefits of ensuring that Roma children have access to education, and specifically public education? We're talking about primary and then also secondary school. 
Yeah, I mean, of course, education is a human right for all. The UN itself has decreed that. So, but not only that, a huge, like, majority of the Roman population are currently illiterate. Mm -hmm. So just giving them tools, like, to be able to read, to be able to write, would not only help them, like, with communication with the government, with the people around them, but it would also increase their ability to access jobs, um, their ability to access higher education. Um, so it really just, it's it's building up from the bottom that by being able to access education, they would then be able to access better paying jobs, which would help combat the wide rates of poverty that they experience, mm. which can then of course affect everything else. Absolutely. I, I think we, we agree with that at Global Education Connection. And that's why the emphasis of our work is on children's rights and specifically their education. Um, okay. So what are some of the steps that can be done to overcome some of the challenges that the Romani children currently face in Europe? A big way that it's being dealt with right now is through legal action. Uh, okay. A lot of countries have been taken to court over this, are being taken to court over this, uh, specifically through uh, the European Court of Human Rights. So okay. by challenging them there, you make them have to implement and update these policies that are discriminatory towards them. And by policy implication, it can then obviously lead to policy enforcement and help mm -hmm. that way. But another way is just raising awareness about the issue because of course I'm not saying every single person in Europe is racist. That's just not true. But by bringing awareness to this issue, it can, you know, lead to them taking action themselves, uh, donating to organizations like the European Roma Rights Center, who are doing this legal work in Europe, uh, and providing support to Roma communities in other ways are just some of the very basic ways that we can help where we can. On average, based off of your research, um, what is the average length? for some of these court cases? Like, are they typically settled within a year or are they a decade long uh, criminal case or, or, or civil case? Now, I'm not sure they're, exactly which it would be. They're usually pretty long, mostly okay. because of the backlog of cases in the mm -hmm. European Court of Human Rights. They okay. deal with so many cases a year that it just, it takes a while to get to them. Absolutely. And even then like work in national courts can take so long just because of how much work there is to be done. And for the most part, a case on Roma human rights isn't going to be at the top of the list to be dealt with. So that, that, that brings about a lot of good points that people in Europe can, can utilize to bring awareness to the Romani people. For us here in the United States, what are some, what are some steps that we can take to raise awareness and also to learn more about the Romani people? Yeah, like I said, there are a lot of great online resources. Of course, never want to speak over Roma voices themselves. So if you have the chance to meet one and they can tell you about their story, I suggest listen. Um, the best thing we can do ourselves is to listen and amplify voices that deserve and need to be heard. Um, and then, of course, like I said, the more awareness that is raised about this issue, the more progressive work can be done for it. And honestly, fundraising, organizations like uh, the European uh, Roma Rights Center need money, obviously, um, or the Roma Education Fund, which is a nonprofit organization that creates initiatives um, for the inclusion of Roma citizens as teachers. Um, so a lot of organizations like that donating. It, I've, I feel horrible sticking my hand out going money, 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 but money makes the world go round. So helping these organizations through any kind of way is the best way that we can help here.
Okay. What are some steps that schools in Europe can take to overcome some of these stereotypes and lift up the Romani children so that way they're on the same level of uh, other European children in this in the same schools? Yeah, I, I think that's kind of a hard question to answer. Of course, obviously, mm -hmm. and like resolving the social stigma around them is going to be the best way to deal with it because as much as like support from teachers is important, the way children around you treat you is going to also affect how well you do in school. So working on that, of course, and I think just providing them with the support they need because a lot of times they're not coming from households uh, with the same kind of money or education levels that other children in the area might. So providing more educational support, um, you know, like I said, desegregating classrooms is a great way to start. Um, and I think just also it, not only like increasing awareness for the people at the school, but I also think employing more Romani teachers and mentors uh, in schools themselves to be able to act as a voice for those children who may not be able to speak for themselves is super important too. I agree. I agree that, that those would be good steps to take, um, especially if if schools can employ um, or even utilize like adult Romani um, mentors, teachers, uh, coaches, especially um, if, if they can help their fellow Romani, uh, Romani kids. One. All right. What are the lessons that we can learn from the experiences of the Romani children in Europe and how can we make sure that it doesn't happen again to another group of children? I think like the biggest thing to know is that we're like discrimination is still ingrained in our society. As much progress as we've made, there's still much more to be done. So we need to address the issues that come up as they come up, of course, and to just take into account that moving forward that like mm -hmm. the, there's always going to be structures of inequality that need to be undone, that need to be fixed, uh, social stigmas around us that we need to look into and realize why we have them and why we need to undo them. Um, but I also think it makes you look a little harder about like the institutions around us here too. Mm -hmm. Think about why they are the way that they are moving forward. I think that's very important because I, I read an article yesterday, actually, that said that this was one of the this this past year was one of the years where we saw one of the highest rates of of migration um, moving into Europe from areas of conflict. So we can see um, Sudan. So we can also see Ukraine um, and other parts of the world. I think this is going to become an increasingly important, important um, area of discussion that we need to be able to say, how can we create inclusive spaces for all kids, regardless of their background, regardless of their, their prior education, educational, um, uh, background or abilities. So I think this is, this yeah. is really important to also be able to help out the Romani kids, but also to use that as a, um, a benchmark for other, other groups of children that are going to be coming in. Um, cause obviously I, th I think, Europe, the United States, other countries around the world need to do what they can to be able to support the populations within their countries that need the most help. Yeah, because it's not just children obviously being displaced by conflict, but also mm -hmm. the rate of natural disasters yep. is like it's going up. And mm -hmm. we, we've seen it even with rising sea levels around the world. How many mm -hmm. island states are going to be underwater in the next 20 years that are going to have to migrate their people somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And the current definition of um, 
a refugee doesn't include anything about climate. Like okay. there, like the the definition of a refugee is extremely limited to what people saw it after World War II. So that includes nothing about migrating from natural disasters or, like I said, rising sea levels, anything of that kind. So those people aren't classified as refugees at the moment and are not granted the same rights that traditional refugees are. So that's another is, thing we need to seriously address moving forward. Is that an easy action step that the United Nations can take to uh, to change the, the terminology of that definition? I, I, I'm not too familiar with it, to be completely mm -hmm. honest. Um, but I, I would imagine so. I don't think the official definition of refugee is like written into the UN charter so that it would need like UN or the General Assembly and the Security Council to sign off on it. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that's something that would probably need to be amended to. I, th I think the, the, was there a refugee convention probably? Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure. The, um, actually, I, I don't want, I don't yes, want to say the, convention relating to the status of refugees. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that's something that would need to be updated, mm -hmm. uh, but that is something that the UN has the power to do or something to build off of and create a new convention. Of course, it would take time and it would take effort and a lot of work, mm -hmm. but it is something that needs to be addressed because yeah. it's, it's not just people fleeing from conflict or persecution anymore that need the same rights as traditional refugees. I would think that that would be a pretty a pretty straightforward action step that the United Nations and the Security Council, the General Assembly could take, because um, it, it would basically come down to a, a, a definition change where they would include also natural disaster as part of the the definition of people that are um, th that are, are refugees. Yeah, um, from what I remember, there also is a push to create. Um, a new definition called a climate migrant. I don't know mm -hmm. how far that's taken off yet, mm -hmm. but that could also be another thing that you, the UN could be doing. But with the UN, it's a slippery slope. The second you want to change one thing, they're going to want to change everything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, are there are there any um, uh, are there any benefits to to being classified as a refugee? Do they gain access to certain um, certain assistance from the United Nations or other governments? Well, the, the status of refugee does offer you more political protection. Mm. Like, uh, that's that's a big issue with the yeah. southern border and accepting mm. uh, migrants from other countries mm. is because, like, seeking asylum in another country, mm. that's protected under international law. You are allowed to do that, um, specifically if you are a refugee. So, refugee status does afford you um, certain things that like the status of a migrant wouldn't. Mm -hmm. So it, it is extremely beneficial to have. And I, I think when, with our topic of the Romani children, I think that these probably, uh, that these children probably are not classified as refugees or migrants because they are there. This is going to be, this is their home. They've been so living it's, it's, in Europe for thousands, mm -hmm. hundreds of years. So yeah, mm -hmm. they're not, but it's also, it, like incredibly interesting to look into because a lot of them like don't have official paperwork mm. for the countries that they live in. So more often than not, they're usually stateless because they don't actually, while they may have been born and raised in a country, they don't actually have paperwork for anywhere. So that's another thing Europe needs to work on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Is there anything else that you'd like to add about the Romani children or specifically the, or in general, the Romani people um, in terms of their, their history or, or some of the things that they are facing today? Just that, like I said, it's so multifaceted. There's so mm -hmm. much that needs to be addressed and yeah. so much work that we could all be doing to help. So, Catherine, do you want to talk about your upcoming publication? Yeah, we can talk about it a bit. Uh, the June Think Tank, which we are currently working on writing, is specifically addressing this topic, uh, Romani children's access to education in Europe. We're going to talk on every thing that I can conceivably come up with, not only who the Romani are, but like I said briefly earlier, the history of discrimination against them, um, and go into more in depth on their access to education, like the low school registration, their high, high school, like their high dropout rates, the ethnic segregation that they have to endure, um, the poor quality of education that they have, and along with how it's tried to be addressed, like I mentioned earlier with the the World Bank's Roma uh, conference, the United Nations Decade of Roma Inclusion, along with the current things being done to address the issue, like the legal action being done in Hungary, the Czech Republic and Slovakia, um, the diversity awareness training that some uh, organizations are trying to introduce. And like I mentioned, uh, briefly earlier, the Roma Education Fund and trying to get more Roma teachers uh, employed in these schools to help the children um, and touch on briefly how we can help not only in the United States, but abroad too. Yeah, so the purpose of today's, today's episode was to be able to provide people listening the general overview of Romani children and their access to education specifically. Um, so their access to education in Europe. Now for our think tank publication, that's going to go into in-depth analysis on all aspects of the Romani people and their human rights in Europe. Thinking. So that publication will be coming out shortly and that will be posted on our website along with our May publication where we talked about the importance of art for cognitive development in children. So for today's episode, um, Again, my name is Carter Beck and Catherine Slaughterbeck. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us on our social media platforms, or you can contact us directly on our website through the contact us button. Um, thank you very much for listening and watching today, and we will see you next time.